Today, we are starting a brand new series called Legacy, and this is a series we come around to um, each year, and we're, we, we come around and, and talk about what it is we want to do to become a legacy in our city. What difference do we want to make in our city? What difference do we want to make within our neighborhoods and our communities? Can we leave a legacy that is lasting? There's something that we focus on each year when we talk about this, and it is making a difference. Everybody say it together. Making a difference. Say it one more time. Making a difference. The goal in life, you know, is not to live forever. It is to leave something behind that does live on forever. Because when you go on to your reward, when you leave this earthly body, what will people say about you? One of the practices that I have found really meaningful and purposeful for us is when, and it sounds a little creepy, but it is, it is writing your own obituary. Write your own, I mean, it sounds a little like, like scary and weird, like, oh, what am I, but you write yourself your own obituary from the perspective of what do you want other people to say about you when you're all done? What do you want people to say about who you were and what you did and what your life was really about? And I think that, I think this is a thing we have to ask individually, and I think it's a thing we have to ask corporately as a church. And so each year we come around to December and we do something called a legacy offering. And a legacy offering is a, like the one time a year where we do a special thing and we, and we give together to help one chapel take a giant leap forward in our calling and our purpose in our city. And, and we do, I think we're doing this on December 9th. And I'm telling you this I'm telling you this eight weeks in advance because I don't want you to, I don't want it to surprise you. I don't want it to sneak up on you. But I also don't want you to feel pressured or, or feel like there's some kind of forcefulness that I'm creating for you to give in this thing. Here's what I'm asking you to do. The only thing I'm asking you to do is to pray, ask God what you should give, and then do that. It's very simple. It's very simple. And it's something we need to practice. And, and I, think it is, I think it is hard to build a legacy. I do think it takes something extravagant very often that we have to do to create a legacy. So I want you to think about it and pray about it over the next eight weeks. Do what God tells you to do. No more complicated than that. And as we come to the end of the year, you know, we look back on what happened this last year. And, and even last year, what we gave together, we gave in a legacy offering and we gave for um, a building, you know, a future building for the Austin campus. <laughs> I was like, I, I'm like, we're living in this least auditorium and it, and it is a blessing. And look, look, the truth is I can, I can live the rest of our time together, the rest of my life pastoring in a church that meets in rented spaces or lease spaces. That's not the end of the world to me. But I do think there's a, 
a step that we take in terms of our community, in terms of what happens in our community, a step forward in our influence when we have a place that we call our own, and that we begin to do ministry and send people out of that place. So I, we, we saved a whole bunch of money last year in the, in the legacy offering. We've been saving money towards it. You can give towards it anytime, towards a new building, because, and, and we got our, our board of directors are looking everywhere. They're turning over every store. They are asking questions. We are, we are meeting with people who only want to lease and ask them if they want to sell it. Because, you know, you understand in Austin, it's crazy to try to buy a piece of property that, with a building that will seat uh, at least 500 people is where we need to be. We actually should be a little bit bigger than that. But, but, but we can squeeze into 500. But I think 500-seat auditoriums are not prevalent in southwest Austin. And this is the problem. And so we've got to have... We've got to have a miracle from God. He's got to do something and provide that. And I don't know how he's going to do it, but I've been praying about it. I encourage you to pray about it, that I think we need to take another step forward personally as a church, in our influence, in our uh, ability to to communicate, in our culture, and in our our, our South Austin uh, neighborhoods. I just think we need to take another step. So we saved money for that. We bought a van and a bus last year for student ministries to to cart kids everywhere. And uh, we did a a really cool thing where we gave teachers in three schools, teachers, teachers, Staff administration, we gave to Sunset Valley Elementary School, we gave every teacher a Christmas bonus because every teacher needs help. Every teacher spends their own money on their own kids in their classroom. They don't have enough budget. They don't. And we gave them each $150, and you would have think they won the lottery. You know why? Because people don't treat teachers like that. It's an amazing thing. You know, you know what happened there? You made a major impact because you were just willing to give. And I think what Jesus is speaking to me about our next steps is it, 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 there's something we're going to do with a legacy offering and we're going to move our church forward, but it is going to require more of us than just a gift. It's going to require boots on the ground. It's going to require a level of serving and love for our community that we have to step into. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about extravagant love. I want to talk to you about the fact that we have to do extravagant things to help people see who Jesus really is. And, 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 and listen, we as a practice, as a church family, we, we give away at least 10% first before any bills are paid. And we've done it since the very beginning of the church. The first check we ever wrote was to a missionary. That we, I didn't even have a building. I, I wasn't even in Austin. I formed the corporation, had the board of directors, and gave away money. Because I wanted to set us on a course. I wanted to set us on a course towards generosity and mission. And so there's a, there's a thing that we do where we, we give this away every, every part of your giving the first 10% goes to global and local missions. We give 2% of our, everything that comes in to ARC to plant churches nationally. Did you know that you, your giving, helped plant a, over 100 churches last year in 2017? And you will pl- help plant another more than 100, probably about 130 churches this year across the nation. You are investing in church planting. 
we, 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 give our, we save our own 2% towards planting 10 churches in the next 10 years. We set aside money, and we've been doing that, setting aside money for the next campus, set aside money for the next part of our vision to, to find a place where we, where we send a group of people, and we say, this is where you live, you own that ground, and you get the gospel into that community. And I believe in that. I believe in that vision. And I remember, I remember having this moment with God, and we hadn't even started one other location yet. And I was praying, and I was asking the Lord, what do you want us to do? What are we supposed to do as a church? What's our next step? And I couldn't figure it out. We're stuck in this little commercial office building. Sorry, that's how I feel in this commercial office building sometimes. We can't play music in here during the day because there's people up here. Weirdly enough, they can clomp all over the ceiling with their shoes all day long. It's not a big deal. But I digress. <laughs> I was praying, and I was like, Lord, what do you want us to do? And, and I remember kind of having a conversation with him, and, and he said to me, what do you think it should look like in 10 years? And I said... I don't know. What do you want it to look like in 10 years? I want it to look like what you want it to look like. That's why I'm praying. And he said something so interesting to me. He said, no, I'm collaborating with you. I'm working with you. What do you think it should look like? Which is a really profound idea because God wants to collaborate with every one of you on his purpose in your influence, in your sphere. And I said, well, okay, if I'm, if I'm honest, what I think it should probably look like is at least 10 campuses, communities, strategizing together for the gospel across the city, sharing resources, sharing their strategies, planning, uh, cooperating and collaborating with each other to get the gospel into every segmented community of Austin. And I could feel him smiling. So he didn't say I had to. I just felt his pleasure. And I think... It is the pleasure of God, because we spent the rest of the prayer time with me saying, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> so I'm not sure what, that, what this is going to mean. But very often, extravagant love will have to be acted out on faith. There will have to be a step of faith before you don't even know how to do it. And that's what we're going to look at today, is an act of extravagant love. Mark your calendars, December 9th, I'm going to point to the legacy offering. I want you to pray about it, but we're going to go through the next several weeks. I'm not going to talk about it necessarily, except to remind you each week, but, but, but we're going to talk today about John chapter 12, John chapter 12, because here's what I really believe. The reason we exist as a church is to make a difference in this city. You stop and think about it. Every one of us wants to. Every one of us has this desire somewhere on the inside of us. We want to live a significant life. We, we want to change the trajectory of other people's lives and of our lives. We want, to, we want to change what our family is known for. We want to leave a positive legacy in the world behind us. And let me give you a definition of legacy. It's on your message notes there, and you can read it along with me. It says, something such as a tradition or problem that exists as a result of something that happened in the past, something that someone has achieved that continues to exist after they stop working or die. 
And so you will leave a legacy. I want you to notice about this definition. One way or another, you will leave a legacy, but it may be positive or it may be negative. There are many legacies, legacies that are negative. And our decisions are so critical. Let's look at John 12, verse 1. The story of Jesus just before the Passover and just before he goes to the cross. He's having dinner. It sets the scene nicely. Let's read it in verse 1. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, and whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took out about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, if I could step back and I could help you see the scene... Because you, ha- you got to know the first words tell us Matthew is describing a scene in Bethany which has its roots in the, uh, the place of the poor. Right? This idea where Lazarus lived who was in need and just recently he had been raised from the dead. And, and, uh, and this was such a profound moment in the story of Jesus. He, him and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had been in conflict. And there was a tension rising. Tension with what Jesus was doing and what was going on. And, and these, these Pharisees were getting so mad because he had huge following. And, and, a, and a, a resurrection of a guy who died was going to encourage that following. And they were getting worried. And it was after Lazarus was raised from the dead that they decided, we got to get rid of him. The Bible actually says it in John, I forget where it is, 10 or 11. And, and, and it says, and it says they, they, we've got to do something. And so, in a way, it should have been like a celebratory dinner. It was held in Jesus' honor, the Bible says, but Lazarus is here. And it's like every day is special because Lazarus was dead, but now he's alive. They're living in the middle of a miracle. But sadly, there's a tension at dinner. There's a tension that's that's kind of something hanging in the air. And Mary kind of proceeds to enhance that tension by what she does next. I don't know if you've ever been to a dinner where it's really awkward. Silverware clanging. Everybody's trying to eat. There is nothing worse than hearing other people chew. It's actually a condition. There's a condition. It's like a, it's like a diagnosed condition. My brother Brent has it. He, can't, he, can't, he has to get up and leave the table if he can hear other people chewing. He's really messed up. But, but, the, but, but there's, a, there's an awkwardness to this room, and Mary just increases the awkwardness as she takes something that was valuable to her and pours it out. This, this pure nard perfume, there's all kinds of stories about how she might have gained this expensive perfume and how it came from a, a, a life where she was just hurt and wounded and violated by others. And, and we don't know exactly if this is how she got this perfume, this pure nard that she poured all over Jesus' feet. These are burial spices. Jesus has told them over and over again that he's going to die. 
but the disciples still don't get it. They, he, he dies, and they're like, where'd he go? He keeps telling them over and over again. So Mary is, Mary is, is, is leaning in towards what Jesus has said. And as we look at this, as we look at this little passage in this dinner time, we see the characters of Mary and Martha because we've heard about them before. If you've been in any Sunday school or church for any amount of time, you've heard about Mary and Martha. And Martha's the busy one and Mary's the one that listens to Jesus. Here it is again. We see the, their character on display. Martha's doing something in the kitchen and Mary is bringing out her most expensive gift and pouring it on Jesus' feet and then wiping it with her hair. I mean, <laughs> that act in itself makes dinner awkward. Um, but verse 4, really, the tension rises even more. Verse 4 says, but one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. John adds a parenthetical, and he says he did not, did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And then if we, if we follow the story in Mark's gospel, the same story, we skip over to Math, Mark 14, we see Jesus' response that Mark includes that is not, not in the response in, in John. He says, verse 6 says, leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. I want you to take your pen and underline those words. She did what she could. She did what she could. I think that's what legacy is all about. It's not about doing stuff you can't do. It's about doing what you can. And then God taking that and doing something beyond what you could have done. But you got to do what you can do. She did what she could. Do what you can. Do what God tells you to do. Look at your life. Look at your blessings. Look at the love and the grace and the mercy that you've received. Look at the restoration and healing and the hope that you've received in your life. Look at the, the forgiveness. The second, third, fourth 152nd chance that you've had. The chances God has given you over and over again. His never-ending mercy. Look at your life and do what you can to honor God with what you have. Verse 8 and 9, she says, She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Underline that phrase. In memory of her. This is the picture of extravagant love. She went the extra mile. She did more than was expected. And I honestly think there's something inside of every one of us that wants to live our lives this way because the truth is love does. Love is an action. Love has to do something. It has to do something. It's not a feeling. It's not just an emotion. People, like in our culture right now, it's like everywhere. It's like, a, I tripped and I fell into love. <laughs> I didn't even see it there and I fell into it. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> and, then I, and then the other day, I fell out back out of love. And it was just like, this. I just didn't want to be with him anymore. 
Like, that's such a stupid idea. (laughs) It's a romanticized idea of what love is. It's lust most of the time. And at best, it's infatuation. What we're talking about here is love. Love does something. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his own and only son. God gave something to us that was so extravagant, so incredible. It's so unthinkable to give your son away. Something. Make no mistake, Jesus was in on it. He wanted to do it. But still, it is a, it is a profound idea because love is extravagant. Love is, as in nature, as its nature, is extravagant. <laughs> you don't say, I love you with 36% of my heart. Nobody says that. You don't stand up on your wedding day and say, I promise to love you most of the time. With some of my heart, I have this other person that I love too, that I, I, I may want to be with her, but I, I love you a lot. Nobody says that. It's, it's either all or nothing. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't say to my wife, I love you with a little piece of my heart. I, I love her. I am, I am extravagantly in love with her. So much so that I'm willing to give her everything. Everything I have belongs to her. Everything, anything she needs. She was in the hospital this week. She had a little procedure done. She did great. Everything's good. She's a little sore and a little tired, but they, they, they closed up a hole in her heart. It was the last, last thing that'll be done in reference to her stroke that happened a couple years ago. So it's, it's over. They think that was most likely the cause. And it's been closed up, and she had that done, and it really creeped me out because they go up through the groin, and they do this thing, and then they close the heart, and But while she was in the hospital, I was thinking about, of course, mortality. I was thinking about what would happen if I lost her. What would I do? I'd be in trouble. (laughs) I'd be in big trouble. (laughs) Because I love her so much. I love her more now than I ever have. And it started out pretty rocky because I was kind of an idiot. And as as a college boy, I kind of did a few things that were dumb and, and, and kind of ruined the relationship for a while. And so she, she ended up writing me a letter. And that letter said, don't talk to me anymore. Don't call me. I don't want to have anything to do with you. This isn't God. <laughs> that was a pretty bad day for me. <laughs> I, was, I was reading the letter. And I remember reading. I remember where I was holding the letter. I remember the, the scene and everything around me because it was like out-of-body experience. Oh, I've screwed up my life. Oh, no. Because I wanted to love her, but I didn't know how. I was, I was a commitment phobe. Is that a word? I was a person that was afraid of commitment. And, but there's this amazing thing that happened. I started hatching a little plan. And the plan included me doing what she asked me to do. Just for all you young people, if somebody says, don't talk to me, don't call me, don't do any of that, the first thing you do is not call them. <laughs> no, I, no, I need to tell her something else. No, you don't. That'll mean you're an idiot. 
If they ask you not to, if a girl or a boy asks you not to, don't. Here's why. You need to respect their decision and you need to trust God with your life. Maybe he doesn't want you with them. Work on yourself. So I started working on myself. I started praying in, a, in a, uh, the basement of the house where I was living. I was praying every day. I was casting demons out of myself. Yes, Christians can have demons. I've been to too many church board meetings to believe otherwise. That Christians can have, can have demons. And so I was, I was getting rid of stuff, and I was letting go of stuff, and, 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 I, and I was hatching this plan, and then I planned to go get her one day. I didn't know when it was going to be. I started making a journal, started writing in my journal, planning to give her the journal. I mean, I, it was crazy. I planned so many great things. One day, I decided it was about time. We were, we, we were there. It was several months later, many months later. And I said, I said okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. I've been planning it the whole, whole time. I, I, first of all, I sent huge, huge, I think it was like three dozen roses. Not one dozen, three. And it was huge. And it was sitting on the counter in the bottom of the dorm where everybody comes in so everyone could see it. And I wrote on the little card, true love conquers all. True love conquers all. I believed it. And so I, I, um, I, 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 I called her that night and I said, I sent you some flowers today. Did you get them? So glad. Thank you. And uh, she said, thank you. And then I said, I'm coming to Tulsa next week. I'd already bought the tickets. I'd already paid the money. I was already convinced. So if she said no now, I was in trouble. And so she, she, she says that as soon as she heard my voice, she knew it was different. I said, I want to take you out to dinner. Will you go with me? She said, yes. I rented a red sports car. <laughs> I took her to the, best, to the best place for dinner out in Nowheresville in a cute little house with a, a fireplace. And we sat at a table right by the fireplace. It was expensive. <laughs> we sat there and I read my journal to her. I read it, and we wept together. I rented horses the next day, and we rode over the hills of, of, of Oklahoma. It was like we were in a movie. My hair was flowing, and so was hers. It was awesome. I spared no expense. I spared no expense because I was, I was committed to extravagant love. And I, I believe that sometimes we get into this thing, we don't understand what extravagant love is. We put up with other kinds of, of activities that take the place of love. And, and make no mistake, there's a decision to be made, but extravagant love has to come from somewhere. True love causes us to be extravagant and I think God wants to put love in our hearts for him that's extravagant. And he wants to put love in our hearts for people that, are, that is extravagant. This is what happened to Mary. She was extravagant in her love for Jesus. She did what she could. And it, I want you to notice, it changed the atmosphere. Love changes the atmosphere. Love 
has to do something. Love is extravagant, and love changes the atmosphere. Listen, when you guys gave to the school last year, to all those teachers, it was incredible. It changed the whole atmosphere of the school. Suddenly, every day was like Christmas for them. Somebody cares. Somebody's thinking about us. Beyond even the people we know, it changed the way they think about Jesus. It changed the atmosphere. I want you to notice, though, that there's another person in this story. Because there are two legacies that we find. One is a legacy of love and giving everything she had. And it's lasted for 2,000 years. But there is another. And his name is Judas. I want you to notice he had some choices to make just like Mary. And Judas was a controller. He was a controller. He... Verse 4 says, but one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. He was objecting. Judas was trying to control what was happening in that room. Let me suggest to you that you cannot control everything. And if you try, you will ruin yourself. Here's what what you can control. Self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit working in you. You can control yourself. You try to control other people. You try to control anything else around you. It is hopeless. It is futile. Control yourself. You're in charge of yourself. The Holy Spirit came to help you do that, right? And, and, but, but, but controlling people always want to control everything else. They want to control the room. Trying to control everything, oftentimes that's like the end of their story. A controlling spirit doesn't let the story go on. Hey, th- we should stop this. This isn't good. We should do something else here. He was also a complainer. A complainer. Verse 5 says, why wasn't this perfume sold and money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. It's like a, you can hear the complainy tone in his voice. The nature of a complainer is, I know what's best. The nature of a complainer is, my way is best, and I know what the right ideas are, and you guys need to listen to me. We all have somebody in our life like that. And if you don't have anybody in your life like that, you might be them. <laughs> I'm just saying. Controller, complainer, here's how C.S. Lewis describes it. Here's what happens to those kind of people. C.S. Lewis, brilliant author, theologian, he says, hell begins with a grumbling mood. Always complaining, always blaming others, but you are still distinct from it. You, You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop it. But there may come a day when you can no longer then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or even to enjoy it, but just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. It is not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. Complaining leads us there. Controlling. Complaining. Judas was a consumer. Verse 6 says, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. This is what Judas was doing. He was the worst kind. He was the worst kind of consumer because he acted like he was doing something else. Judas was fending for himself. His selfishness was driving every decision. And it's so easy for you and me to let selfishness drive every decision. We live in a consumer culture. 
why wouldn't you think about you first? Because every marketing campaign is aimed right at you, and it comes through your phone, and it comes through your TV, and it comes through your movie houses, and it comes through the internet, and it comes through your email, and it comes, everybody wants you to be happy. Why wouldn't you start thinking, oh, I need to be happy? This, this world's about me, and I, I just consume. I, I pick the things I want to consume, and I'm the consumer. Judas was a consumer, and his selfishness is the worst kind of consumer because his selfishness was masquerading as generosity. Listen, the truth is, church, we can give money to lots of people, but if we don't have something happen to our hearts, it will be empty. People will be grateful. It'll be nice, but I'm not sure it will transform anyone's life for the kingdom of God. We cannot just do this out of some kind of um, consumer identity so that people will like us more. Love was the driving force in Mary's heart, but it was not the driving force in Judas's heart. And Judas had other plans. He wanted to take over. He was convinced that Jesus was going to ascend to his kingdom and that he would have a part to play in that and he would push things forward so that he could have power. Say this after me. God help me. Come on, say it out loud. God help me to not have the Judas mindset where it's all about controlling and all about complaining and all about consuming, just for me. I want you to notice something else about this because Judah's story ends tragically. It ends terribly. He ends with a legacy of betrayal, of shame, and the worst kind of friendship. But Mary, she was different. Mary had some, de- de- some decisions to make. She had a choice as well. And But here's what Mary said. Mary was caring Mary decided to care. Mary was a contributor. Mary decided she was going to create a lasting legacy. First caring, she noticed what the others didn't notice. She saw what the others didn't see. She saw what Jesus didn't see. She leaned into the things that others weren't leaning into. She listened to what Jesus was talking about. She, she was either saving this for his burial or she was preparing him for his burial. But she was keyed in. She was clued in on what was happening to Jesus. That's what you and I have to be. Caring. We have to be leaning into him and leaning into others. Contrast her with Martha, who was busy. Busy, busy, busy. And Judas, who was just interested in his own agenda. But she was also a contributor. She contributed to something. She digs into her life. She takes what she has and she gives it. She doesn't cling to her alabaster box. She lets it go. And that's why she became a person that was creating, in that moment, she was creating a lasting legacy. Creating a lasting legacy. And Jesus, he saw it. He saw what was happening, and he did some things for her in response. Matthew verse 10 says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I also will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Look, Mary made a decision that evening, and her decision was to confess Jesus, to worship Jesus, to give her all, to express her extravagant love for Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He stands up and he defends her. 
This is what Jesus will do for you and for me if we will express our extravagant love for him in this way. Paul describes it like this, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided. Everybody say decided. See, it's a decision. It's not an emotional component. I'm not going to show you a bunch of pictures of of babies (laughs) and people in trouble. Right? This is, not a, this, is not a, this is not an emotional appeal that we're going into, talking about legacy and leaving a legacy. The special offering isn't about all that. It is about a decision, in, a decided in your heart to give, not, to, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He wants the kind of person whose heart has been totally changed to be an extravagant lover, and then that's the place they give from. Verse 8 says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, I love this phrase, how many times is all? Is there anything else left? Is there any other time? What about all things? Is there any other things? No, all things in all times, you will have all, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And as it is written, and then he quotes some of the Old Testament, he says, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. One chapel I want to enlarge the harvest of our right standing with God. I'm not talking about just a building. I'm not talking about... I want to enlarge the harvest of righteousness, right standing with God in our community, right standing with God within our own lives. And he says in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. See, here's what I want you to understand, right? Here's our last few fill in the blanks. Giving is a decision, not an emotional response to pressure. So one of the most important things that we believe at One Chapel is we're not moved by our emotions. Feelings always follow. We do the thing that, that God asks us to do. We're moved by our convictions and our faith and what God's directive is. Here's what Paul's actually saying, though, because it's a little deeper than this. Because God wants to, what he says is, God wants to provide all of your needs. So you see where he says that? He's like, he's like okay, I want you to, remember, whoever sows willingly, sparingly, will reap sparingly. Whoever sows, uh, uh, what does he say? I can't, I can't come with it. Uh, generously (laughs) whoever sows generously will reap generously so what you give to other people will come back to you either way you want to be stingy that's that's what's going to come back to you you want to be generous that's what will come back to you and then he makes a big deal paul is trying to convince the corinthian church god's going to take care of you i promise he wants you to be generous he's going to be generous with you now why does god want to be the one to provide for all of our needs why? What's the big deal? What's so big about that? Think about this. God doesn't have any needs. Right? He doesn't have any needs. Are you with me? He doesn't have any needs. And he wants you to live as he does. Without stress. Without worry dominating your life. Without anxiety. 
He wants you to rest in him. He wants you to live as he does. Not driven by all these other things. Worried. Anxious. He wants you to trust him. And anything that you are concerned about, you bring it to him and you give it to him. And you, and you do that in a daily way. And that drives away anxiety. And you start to become like him. Because when we become givers, we become like God. We display the generosity. God so loved the world that he gave. I want you to, I want you to ask these questions. They're at the bottom of your page. And these little questions, what are your dreams for your own legacy? What is in the heart of God for our city that we should be involved in? And I want you to talk about that. I want you to pray about that. I want you to seek God about it. What will be our legacy together as one chapel? Look at Isaiah 58. It's what I think we're supposed to be. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the foundations of past generations. You will be called the rebuilder of broken walls and the restorer of streets where people live. This is what we want to be. I want you to take out that little card that's right in your seat it's a something extra card. Here, Owen, oh, hand me that, will you? Hand me that. Yeah, just hand me that one. Everybody get this card in your hand. Look at this little card. It says one chapel on the front, family of neighborhood churches, and then on the back it says something extra to show you God loves you. I want you to go out in the community this week, and I want you to pray, and I want you to be ready to do something for somebody else and leave this little card for them. Maybe you're out to dinner, and you, you, you leave a huge, huge not a little puny tip, a huge tip, and say, and leave this card there. See, here's the thing. Look for an opportunity. Now, there's some other cards. If you want to take more than one, want to take more than one, you can go out and get some more, but you can't take more than five because nobody's that generous. So I just want you to, you'll take them all, and then you'll just keep them. Oh, I forgot. And, no, take one, take three, <laughs> baby steps, and, and start to work on the extravagant heart of Jesus in you. Look for an opportunity. You know, we've been doing this. I love my church thing, right? You guys, you guys all got the t-shirt. It's like, it's like, I, I got the t-shirt. I got the, I got the yards. It's like, I love my church. I love my church. That's awesome. But here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about taking this. And when you buy somebody Chick-fil-A, they're going to say, I love your church. <laughs> See that, that flips it a little bit, doesn't it? We got to, we got to think about being God's heart in our city. You got to think about what that looks like and got to practice that. So I want you to bow your heads and I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about your legacy. I want you to think about your life right now. Think about what God is doing in you. What's happening? What might he ask you to do? Would you be willing to dream? Would you be willing to ask bigger questions? Would you be willing to to think about the scripture that says he has more than you can ask or even imagine and then imagine really big now for some of you you're sitting here and you're like oh man <sighs> pastor ross i i don't i barely have love in my heart for jesus I don't even, I, I want what you're talking about, but I'm so full of my own selfishness. I'm so full of my own failures. I'm so full of sinfulness. I, I, don't, I don't even know if I can do what you're talking about. I will tell you that you can, but you have to be 
filled. You have to be, you have to, you have to release your hold on life and let Jesus take your life. And so if you're here this morning and you, this is your morning to release control of your life, to release your opinion on everything and surrender your, your life to Jesus, surrender your heart to Him. This is your moment. This is your time. Like I'm coming here to this moment. You're here in this service for a reason. Jesus is speaking to you and He's saying, I have so much more for you. Quit living your small life. I have so much, something so much bigger for you. Oh yeah, but Pastor Ross, I, I don't know. I don't know if you can really love me after what I've done. Yes, He loves you. There is no doubt His love is extravagant. It is overwhelming. It is unrelenting. It is reckless. It is scandalous. I want you to respond to His love now. And let's pray this prayer together. Father, we just come to You and we, we need You so desperately. We, we think about the love of that you have for us as Jesus came to the cross and gave himself completely. He didn't give a little bit, he gave it all. And his love, that laying down your life love, that sacrificial love that we see, Lord, we thank you for that because it means something to us. And we want to respond to that love and we, we want our lives to be filled with that kind of love. So Lord, forgive us for going our own way. Forgive us for being so selfish. Forgive us for being complaining. Forgive us for being controlling, for trying to control everybody and everything. Forgive us, Lord. We invite you into our hearts to take over, to have your way and to lead us forward. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Heal us. Change us. Lift our eyes to the world so that we can see how much they need your love and how much we need to love them. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.